and welcome to Outrage and Optimism. My name is Paul Dickinson. I'm Cristiana Figueres. And Cristiana, where is Tom? Well, you know, Paul, I think he might be at court or in jail. Oh. Because since the 19th century, there has been a law to prohibit child labor, which Tom clearly completely disobeyed last week. And much as it was delightful to hear two wonderful little voices, don't you think he might be in jail? Yeah, I mean, things have changed. If not jail, then certainly um, he'll be in the social services, as we say. So um, Tom hasn't answered any of my calls lately, and I'm assuming none of yours or none of Clay's. So he might be put away someplace. Well, we're just going to have to... Carry on without him, Christiana. It's, it's, it's worrying, but in a way, you know, uh, when there's an emergency on, you've got to get the job done. <laughs> so, um, Christiana, you interviewed Catherine McKenna, the inspiring environment minister of Canada. She is an amazingly interesting politician, is she not? Well, she is. She's actually the uh, Minister of Environment and Climate Change. Um, and, you know, Paul, I remember the very first time that um, after almost a decade of Stephen Harper as PM, the first time uh, that uh, under the new government of Justin Trudeau, that Catherine McKenna walked into a negotiating room on climate change. And it was just a few months before the Paris Agreement. Uh, and she walked into a room full of ministers who had been working very, very hard on getting the Paris Agreement uh, developed and, and developing uh, common ground. And she took the microphone uh, when she was given the floor and her first words that she said is, friends, Canada is back. <laughs> and I cannot tell you how the room absolutely exploded in joy uh, because it was so fantastic after so many years of a very, very difficult uh, political and policy position of climate change in Canada. It was so delightful to have someone who was really thinking uh, forward and thinking honestly in for, for the benefit of, of future generations. So it was delightful. Um, so what have they done? We, we interviewed um, Catherine McKenna today. Uh, who is one of the longest environmental uh, environment ministers in Canada. But what have they done since Justin Trudeau was uh, was voted in? Well, they've put a price on carbon pollution, very interestingly, because Canada is uh, such a dev- has such devolved authority. They have actually worked with provinces and with territories for s- two years at least, to allow each province and territory a certain flexibility to design their own climate change plans and their own uh, price on pollution. The federal uh, carbon pollution price is made out of two components, the fuel charge and what they call the output-based pricing system, which is basically uh, the part for industry. So they have one part for fuel and another for the very intensive industries. Um, they actually do also have an exemption for remote uh, communities, which are so important in Canada. They also have an exemption for some of the farmers and fishers. Uh, fishers. Um, and they, uh, I think 
Canada is probably one of the policies that is most well thought through. They have uh, a commitment to phase out coal and a just transition plan in place for coal workers. They are reducing their dependence on diesel. They uh, want to move up to 90% renewable energy. They have done huge amount on public transport. They are promoting um, new innovative technologies that reduce carbon across all sectors. They have a target to increase by 200% the area of nature that is protected. Honestly, it is pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. It is very well thought out and it's not easy, particularly in a country um, where they already know that Canada is going to uh, be uh, two times, is going to beat world records in terms of warming because they already know that it is warming two times as fast as the rest of the world. And there is a lot of support from Canadians for very good, um, very good policy. Now, the issue, I think, the conundrum for them is that although they have all of this policy that has been so well put together and so carefully thought through, and their commitment is to be 30% below their emissions uh, as compared to 2005, to be 30% by 2030, they are currently not on track. Uh, of course, they are trying to make up for almost a lost decade under the previous government. Um, but it's a very difficult issue to move into the breadth and depth of transformation that they have conceived and bring the public with them, which is probably even more difficult than the design of the policy itself. And I think that is where they are right now, standing a few months before election, Canada's election is when? October 21, I think. Um, and, uh, and, and a very difficult position, I think, for political leaders right now to show that their policy has actually had a good effect, that they have increased jobs, that they have increased their GDP, that they're lowering their, um, their carbon emissions, and that all of this is actually good for the general public. A, a very, honestly, very difficult position that they're in, and they're doing it very courageously. Well, that sounds like quite a... Uh... Uh, an intriguing, fascinating situation that Canada is in. Let's go and hear the interview with Catherine McKenna, the Environment and Climate Change Minister of the Great Nation of Canada. Minister Catherine McKenna, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast, Outrage and Optimism. As you can imagine, uh, we have termed the podcast Outrage and Optimism because we think that at this point in our efforts on climate change, we need both the outrage that is out there on the streets and the optimism that pulls us forward. So that's why we have both of those in the title. Um, and we would love to talk to you actually also about outrage and optimism in Canada. If that's okay. That sounds great. Okay. That sounds great. And it's great to join you. Always awesome to be hanging out with you. Thank Christiana. you. Thank you. Um, Catherine, so I would love it if you would help us understand what is going on in Canada around climate change. Because from someone who sees it from the outside, here's what we see. 
fantastic Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, elected mainly on his position on climate change. One of the things that he and you do is to put in a carbon tax. Now, the carbon tax has actually been thought through somewhat better than in France, and it's actually a tax that is providing income for the government that is then redistributed to citizens. So you would think that's the perfect structure. However, it doesn't seem to be going well for the government in this election. So what's wrong? Well, okay, so that's a big question. And I will say um, optimism, outrage. I, I think about that every single day um, because that is what happens on my file. And I think everyone sees us, politicians around the world, that climate change uh, is a very polarizing file. Unfortunately, uh, we just did a science report in Canada. Uh, so we had leading government scientists that put out a report. It showed that Canada is warming at twice the global average, three times or more in our north. And across Canada, we've seen the impacts uh, of climate change, of extreme weather. Where I live uh, in Ottawa area, we've had floods that are supposed to be once in 100 years. We've had them uh, three years, once in three years. So we've got a real problem here. We've seen forest fires uh, who, that have started burning earlier that are linked to climate change now. We've been able to make the link um, in terms of how much uh, is being burnt because of the conditions. Um, we have droughts. Uh, I was in the high Arctic this summer, uh, and uh, I've seen literally uh, a place called Tuktoyaktuk, where Inuit live, is falling into the sea um, because of coastal erosion, because of storms. Um, why am I telling you this? Because I think policies really matter. So through our tax system, uh, I think it's been huge in terms of the uptake. It's over 90%, 95% people have actually been able to get the money back. And our parliamentary budget officer has shown that 80% uh, that 80% of families are better off, especially low-income and middle-income families. And that is a difference in France. And this isn't, you know, to talk about. I think it is important to look at different policies in different countries. In France, people felt that they were paying more, um, that the money was not being recycled back to them, that the cost of living was higher. And so I think as you do climate policies, on the optimistic side, you can do policies that actually make sense for people because I've learned over four years, I'm the second longest serving environment minister, that people have to be at the center of your policies. So I think the optimism I have is that if you step back and you really think about people-centered policies, that you can actually demonstrate how you can tackle climate change, but also making sure that, that people have jobs, that life is affordable. Because if you do not do that, it's not going to work. Um, and we need to continue talking to Canadians about how people are at the center of our policies. And the good news is through other policies that we've brought in, Canadians, your, your median family will have $2,000 more in their pockets because we brought in a Canada Child Benefit. We've created a million jobs. Our unemployment rates are the lowest in four decades. So it's part of the environment and the economy have to go together. And I didn't come to this job as an environmentalist. I care greatly about the environment. It wasn't my background. But I think that's helped because I think you need to link climate policies because it's you know, a cross-cutting theme. Um, the climate is an economic issue. Climate is a national security issue. Climate is a health issue. Climate is a justice issue. That you have to look at it in that frame. If you only talk about, okay, we've got to change, everyone's going to have to change jobs, a lot of people are going to lose jobs, going to cost you a lot more, that's not a great selling point. 
And I am in politics. I have to convince people that what we're doing is good for the planet, but it's also good for them. So, Catherine, we would agree with all of that, but here is where I, I cannot square the circle. Everything that you have described, I would say, is picture book from the point of view of those of us who are concerned about climate. Um, and you can imagine that there are many countries, beginning with the United States, that is looking over at Canada to see, okay, so how is this going to be done, right? So you have charged forward and you have done picture book, but it's not helping you in the polls. And that is a mystery because Canadians overwhelmingly support action on climate change, but now when it comes to the polls and when it comes to the election, and you've just said, what, 97 days to the election, your picture book measures on climate change and the fact that you really made this people-centered and you're really beginning to put very concrete money back into the pockets of, of Canadians, it's not helping you. Why? Well, so I actually think that, look, we're, we're still far away from election day. Um, and I think that when you look at Canadians and you look at even the polling, which I don't live and die by polls, the only poll that matters is election day, um, the Canadians actually support this overwhelmingly. They may not, the price on pollution may not be the selling point in the election, but to the extent people understand, like the question, if the question is at the ballot box, do you believe we need to take climate action in a way that makes life affordable and create good jobs? I think that is a very good question for us. But as I say, so why is it challenging? And why do you see so much noise out there? And you go to my Twitter feed, you will see the noise. Um, I have, I have. <laughs> I think it's because you have populist politicians who for some reason don't want to look at the science behind climate change, nor the evidence of what works. And, and so... I don't think we have conservative politicians anymore, certainly not progressive conservative politicians that we've seen before. We had a conservative prime minister, Brian Mulroney, who helped tackle acid rain. Um, and they did it with a price on pollution working with the United States. Um, that it wasn't, I mean, it was hard. He had to show leadership, but it wasn't controversial for a conservative politician to be using a market measure. <laughs> so we now, and it's, you've seen it in the United States, you've seen it in countries in Europe, where you have politicians who for some reason think climate change is a great issue to polarize folks. And I think we have to fight against that. It's not just about climate change, it's about other important pol progressive policies like immigration. Um, but we have to fight about that, against that. But at the same time, we have to talk like people. And we have to, we have to relate to people. But in Canada, if I talk to folks, um, everyone understands how much we're paying in insurance costs. Everyone understands the health costs. Um, right now, we're, we're seeing the, I was just reading the paper today, um, in our, you know, in the north of Canada, the temperatures are extraordinarily high, higher than in other places in Canada. I mean, it is, people are worried, and I think it is very good. So on a positive note, so I am a realistic optimist. I think I'm like you, Christiana. Some days I'm, I'm, a, I'm an optimistic realist, some days I'm a realistic optimist, depends on the day. But... Um, I think that for the first time in this election, climate will be a top issue, mm -hmm. and that is good. You can't be scared of it. Like, I could be scared of it and say, I wish we would just talk about jobs because we've created all these jobs. But I think people need to link all of these issues, and we have to have a serious conversation about what is happening and how we move forward. 
And that is important. In Canada, you cannot deny climate change is happening. Now, there are some politicians who deny the link, but overall, major parties have to be having this conversation. So I think part of the role of all of us is to not just talk about COPs and Paris agreements, but talk about a cleaner future. Talk about electric vehicles, how they're quieter, how it's going to save you money, how it's healthier for the environment. Talk about what the jobs are going to look like. I talk to young people. They're excited about jobs where they're going to do right by the planet. Talk about the economic opportunities. We have amazing clean tech companies, one of them carbon engineering, where Bill Gates and others are investors. They literally take carbon dioxide out of the uh, air and they create a clean fuel. That there are all these amazing things that are happening, and I think we need to have people understand that. Because if it's just about what you need to give up, it's just about how bleak the that future doesn't is. doesn't get us anywhere. It's not motivating. So many of the policies that you've instituted are actually quite effective. Now, here is um, something that remains. I'm, I'm, I'm grappling here with my mysteries, my Canada mysteries. From the point of view of those who are truly very concerned about climate, they will criticize your government because you promised to be 17% below 2005 levels by next year, and you're not on track. Those who stand on the other side would say, well, you were actually way too aggressive on your price on pollution. And so it seems to me that you're standing there in a very difficult spot between not being aggressive enough for those who are really concerned, but being too aggressive for those who don't want to do anything. So that is a very big challenge, and it gets back to the polarization. So in terms of the 2020 target, and you would know this, we lived under a decade uh, of Stephen Harper, where we did nothing on climate. So you can't bend a curve. We came in, uh, we had to negotiate for a year. Our policies are just coming into effect now. Um, when you talk about phasing out coal, we're talking about 2030. Now it's accelerating. Uh, the investments we're making in public transit, they're just coming online. All of these things, you can't bend the curve that quickly. By 2030, we're absolutely committed to meeting our target. I think we can you know, do more. We're going to have to work at that. It's, a, it's literally a very functional thing. You just look at your emissions from each uh, different sector and you just have to reduce them. But I, I do see this. And, and it's funny because I work very closely with environmentalists. I also work very closely with the energy sector. You have no choice. Like Canada, there's no magic bullet here that you can't just wave a wand and say, okay, Canada, you've been a natural resource-based economy. Um, you've relied on fossil fuels. Immediately overnight, you're just going to shut everything down. It, it, it can't work like that. And I'm originally from a steel town. Um, and manufacturing has been hit. And I understand that you need to map this out and you need to figure out the economic piece. Otherwise, that's, I mean, it's not responsible, um, but it's also, you're going you're gonna to lose in government because people will say, well, you don't care about me. I care about the planet, but I care about a job. And so that is often the challenge um, that, and I think I will say one thing that is very important. I love it The kids are marching the streets. So do we. So do we. <laughs> it, is, it is incredible. And do they want us to do more and faster and better? Absolutely. I need their voices and I need them to push us because as you see on the other side, you have folks who want us to do less and less or nothing. Because, um, you know, I often get this when I'm out and I do town halls. I'm always out. Um, people say, well, why would Canada do anything? 
Um, you've got China and India. Well, you're a tiny, we're a tiny percent of emissions. I'd like to point out that actually per capita, we're very significant and we're in the top 10. And when you go to McDonald's, you don't go through the drive-thru and take your garbage and throw it out the window because you're a tiny percentage of the garbage. And of course, the most important thing, the Paris Agreement, there's no free riding. That's the whole point of the Paris Agreement. Everyone has to do their part. But once again, um, my focus now, and this is going into the election, is to the people who will never support us. The people, there are people who just don't want us to do anything on climate change. I'm not trying to appeal to them. If you don't believe in the science behind climate change, if you don't want to see action, you're never, you know, you're not going to want to listen to me. What I need to do is talk to people who want to see ambitious climate action, um, who may even want to see way more ambitious climate action, and talk to them about what we are doing and talk to them about how you have to support us because a lot of people that are um, that want us to do more, they're not marching in the streets against conservative politicians who are fighting us to the death on a price on pollution. They're often focusing on us. And I said, fair enough, like, you know, but I need people to also realize that progressives need to come together. We can't all split into little groups and say, well, if only you did a bit more, so I'm not going to vote for you because what happens then? And we have seen this time and again, it's not just in Canada, is that people who want to do nothing win. <laughs> they do. The, the people who, you know, because then a conservative government could easily win and they're not going to do anything in climate. We're never going to meet a 2030 target, let alone be, you know, working with the world. When I came into this job, uh, and I think you might remember uh, when I went to the pre-COP, people were so happy that Canada was back at the table. And I started off by saying, we believe in the science behind climate change. That's how far we were, because we had ministers who didn't even accept the science behind climate change, even though they were actually from the Arctic. So, you know, we... We need to bring folks together, and so I work on that, and I, I worry about progressives splitting. And it's hard. Like, look at Germany trying to figure out how to phase out coal, which is the most polluting um, fossil fuel, is hard because people are worried about jobs. France, you've got the gilets jaunes. You know, they need to figure out also how do we bring people together? How do we make sure people feel that they're part of it, that affordability is there? Um and so I work really hard on being trying to be reasonable. Um, often um, I'm cast. People like putting me into different groups. Um, the favorite moniker, they think it's quite funny. Some people, uh, conservative politicians and the kind of right, um, call me climate Barbie because they think that's, you know, kind of diminishes what we're doing and, you know, I'm not serious or but that's fine. Like, this is really critically important, but I do think polarization is very bad. I want to be a radical centrist who is very ambitious on climate action but has people at the center. That is the goal. So from that context, talk to me about tar sands. Talk to me about, explain to me why tar sands in Canada have actually been, from our perspective, carved out of the um, carbon tax, of the price on pollution. Um, we understand that the oil coming there is not for internal consumption. It's mostly from export. But still, our boss, the global atmosphere, doesn't look at the passport of emissions, right? No matter where those emissions occur, whether it's Canada or anywhere else, they are still emissions. And that would not help your overall goal. So why are tariffs being treated differently? So, so let's be clear. They're actually not being treated differently. The price on pollution applies uh, across the board. It applies in the oil and gas sector. It applies. It's across the board price. And many countries don't have an across the board price. It's a price 
across the board. So that includes the oil sands. I think it's also really important. So we did not allow the the Northern Gateway pipeline to go ahead. We have a tanker ban uh, off of the north coast of British Columbia. And there's a lot of focus on one pipeline, which is the twinning of an existing pipeline. It's called the Trans Mountain uh, Pipeline. And so people are confused. And I think that is, it's important to explain this and explain a transition. And this is a little bit of a longer answer, but I think people are entitled to understand the thinking behind this. When we came into power, when I went to the pre-COP meeting um, in Paris, uh, people said to me, tar sands, terrible. How can you be a climate leader? I went back home. Rachel Notley, who is the progressive leader uh, in Alberta, came out with a climate plan. What did the climate plan do? Put a price on pollution, including for the oil and gas sector. Coal phase out. But very, very importantly, a hard cap on emissions from the oil sands. I don't think you're going to find anywhere in the world a sector that has a hard cap. The fact that Alberta, a province that for so long had been missing in action on climate policy, suddenly had a very courageous female leader who was willing to stand up. We could not have had a national climate plan without that. We are still moving forward on phasing out coal. We're also, of course, making the investments on clean tech and and uh, and renewables. Um, and so that's what a transition is. And I know it's hard because people are like, wait a minute, you said it's a climate emergency, but you know, you have this one pipeline. It's the 20 of an existing pipeline. And I think that's also important in this regard. Environmentalists stood with this premier when she announced the plan. It did not mean it was a budget. It's a carbon budget. That's what a ceiling is, uh, the cap. And it meant that they were going to figure out the transition. But for the 20 of an existing pipeline, it was always part of that. And everyone knew that. And that's not ideal. But you can't just say one day to the next, people are all going to lose their jobs. And the reality of this pipeline is that actually we've got a demand issue. And so it was going to start, it was going by rail. Rail is extremely unsafe. We've had some big challenges here, um, major disasters with uh, bitumen going by rail. And uh, we had one market, the United States. So we were getting a discounted price. Um, so you have to make hard decisions when you're in government. And we made the decision that this was a project that you could minimize the impacts that with the hard cap in place, um, with the other machines, we have the toughest methane emissions in the world, standards in the world in oil and gas. We did it with Obama. The Trump administration has backed off. We're still doing it. We brought in a clean fuel standard, but this is what a transition looks like. So look, that is tough. And you know, there are people who do not like this. And I know many young people say, just stop all this now. It's just not what a transition looks like. And in fact, I think I'm proud that Canada is doing this because it is hard for us. If it's really easy, if you have no fossil fuels, it's really easy to say to the rest of the world, let's get off fossil fuels immediately. Whereas for me, I can say, you know what? We're doing all the bloody hard work. We're putting <laughs> a price on pollution. We're Indeed. phasing out coal. We're bringing in all these regulations. We're making $60 billion, historic investments in clean energy. Um, we're using market measures and it doesn't happen overnight. And I got to think about people who are in Alberta very worried about jobs and in Saskatchewan. And so, look, it's not perfect, um, but I think it is showing how you can map it out and try to keep the temperature down. Because we do not have, we have some people are out there, Gilets jaunes, but we do not have the same challenges that you, you know, you're seeing in France. You know, I think that you probably internationally hear a lot of the rhetoric 
I don't think it demonstrates where your average Canadian is. The average Canadian is not marching the streets saying it's terrible what you're doing. They're trying to figure it out. And I think overwhelmingly, you have progressives who want us to take the action we're taking or do more. So I think my goal is to sort of say, look, this is our plan. We've done four years. We're going to run. We have a new platform. This is what the next four years would look like. And just be very practical. Because as I say, there's no magic solutions. You can't wave a wand. You got to go sector by sector, transportation, uh, you know, natural resources or industry, how we build, method, how we, you know, dispose of our waste. You just go through that and then you bring in policies. And it's not sexy. Um, and it requires every single day working hard on the policies and working even harder on how you communicate them. Thank you. That's really very, um, very helpful to understand that. And we're definitely not living in Harry Potter land. If we, if we did, we would have a very quick, uh, quick solution. Thank you very much for going through all of those details. Uh, Minister Catherine McKenna, good luck from now until the election. Thank you. And we will talk to you again soon. Thank you very much for joining us. Great. Great to see you. So, Christiana, I think that was a fascinating interview and I'll tell you why I'm really interested to hear a frontline politician much admired uh, for her leadership on climate change describing the practical challenges she faces in getting things to kind of turn out right you know we often talk about governments in a very remote sense but here's a here's a politician actually on the front line and um, her warnings about populists polarizing society, I thought were particularly relevant. Um, well, yes, I, I think, you know, the warnings on, uh, on populist leaders being tempted to take advantage of what is inevitably a phase of transition for any economy um, are, uh, are really wise words of warning to everyone. And we should remember that um, making electoral pro uh, promises, such those that were made by Justin Trudeau when he was first elected, that's one thing, because he came in on a very strong climate agenda because people were really exceedingly concerned. Now he's coming to the end of his first term, and so now he is no longer running on promises. Now he, he and Catherine McKenna are running on what they have actually done, a very different political position to be in than when you're in opposition and running against the incumbent. So a much more difficult but a much more important uh, position and one that honestly Canada cannot afford for uh, for these policies to be moved back, to be um, pulled back as we're having in the United States. You know, sitting at, at, on the outside of this as, as a kind of member of the global public, um, what really struck me about what she said was, uh, you know, she talked through how it's taken, you know, years of working with civil society, working with the energy companies, uh, coming up with the legislation, getting it through the parliament. She said, actually, a lot of what they've done is only just starting to come into effect now, after what she said was, was 10 years of nothing happening. And I also noticed her uh, speaking about something that, that we've discussed in, in lots of previous uh, podcasts, 
which is, you know, how brilliant it is to have the kids marching on the streets and fundamentally how everyone concerned about climate change needs to come together into a coordinated uh, political movement that can uh, kind of uh, fight the, the, the conservative politicians, she said, that would, uh, that would fight to the death against the carbon price. Uh, that, that, that she said that there was no time for anyone who was kind of in favour of action on climate change to, to be split up or separated, that we need to come together. And, and that really felt to me like uh, practical advice that we can follow as we try and build political support for, um, you know, this critical election. And, and you know, it, it's Canada, but it, these critical elections are happening all over the world all the time, and they're going to keep happening. And we've got to, we've got to keep winning them. As, especially as Tom Friedman said, in the USA, this is, the, this is another huge one coming up uh, uh, when, when, at the end of Trump's first term. Yeah, well, you're, you're right. It is Canada, and it is more than Canada, right? It is more than Canada. Um, these... I think for the next two to three to four to maybe five years, we'll be seeing increasing number of countries that are going to go to uh, electrical uh, electoral points in their political system. And many of them will be judged by the public on uh, their climate policies. And it's going to, we, we're going to have to get over this hump. We're going to have to really be able to prove that these policies that are incontrovertibly beneficial in the long term are also beneficial in the short term. Because public opinion is much more swayed by short term than by long term. So that is, that's the challenge that we have there. Mm. Yeah, I know she talked about, you know, the, the cleaner future, what she wants to be a radical centrist. I love that phrase you used a while ago, Christiana, about how, uh, you know, just as there are populists trying to polarize people, climate change is a theme to bring people together. But uh, amazing and, and, and inspiring politician. And, and I, I really hope she succeeds in, in getting another term to implement some of these policies. The, the, the Canada needs it and the world needs it. Indeed. So all eyes on Canada in October. Fingers and toes crossed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Outrage and Optimism. And please go right to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating. And you can follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. And we love to hear your comments and suggestions for how we can improve the show. We read every single email. So let us know now on podcast at globaloptimism.com. So Outrage and Optimism is a production of Global Optimism. It is produced by Clay Carnell. The team includes Pete Cotton-Brock, Chloe Revel, Natasha Rivett-Karnak, Marina Mancilla, Alejandra Vargas-Morera, Callum Grieve, and Zoe Cholakantic. I'd also like to thank Nigel Topping and Michael Northrup. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and please do subscribe. We'll see you next week. Thank you.